0: Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. This episode is brought to you by AuthorBuilder. Whether you are an experienced author with an established base of fans or a new author looking to cultivate a following, AuthorBuilder provides you an easy way to build a website, showcase and sell your book, and engage with your community. This all-in-one approach saves authors a ton of time and money because you don't have to worry about purchasing a separate monthly plans for website hosts, a storefront, an email list, and everything in between. Author Builder does all that for you. Plus, you can get multiple layout and theme options specifically designed with authors in mind. As you've likely heard me mention in the past few episodes, I've recently published my first book, and there's nothing more overwhelming than trying to coordinate all of these complex systems. Luckily, the team at Author Builder has solved this problem for you. If you act now, you can actually save at 25% on an annual purchase, or you can sign up for the free plan, which won't cost you a dime. From free to basic to pro to premium, each plan gives you a subdomain, at least a thousand emails per month, at least one blog post per month, SEO capabilities, automatic updates, an about me page, image hosting, the ability to send newsletters, and even analytics and tracking. Simply click the Plans tab on the site and you can choose the plan that works best for you and your book. Whether you write fiction or non-fiction, writing a book is hard enough. Don't get stuck doing all the complex administrative work of managing multiple programs when this all-in-one approach puts every tool at your fingertips in a single easy-to-use location. You can find the link in the bio and that's authorbuilder.com to sign up today. Daniel Wilcox is an international best-selling author and award-nominated podcaster on dark fiction. He's one-fifth of digital story studio Hawk & Cleaver, co-founder of the iTunes Busting Fiction podcast The Other Stories, and CEO of the horror imprint Devil's Rock Publishing. Wilcox is furiously passionate about all things story. He's actually written 40 books in four years for himself and some ghostwriting clients. In this interview, we discuss why Daniel never published his first novel, how he created an accountability group of other horror writers, what made him take the plunge into writing as a business, how he schedules creative writing during the day, and why the process is actually more important than the results.
1: So I have, I've always been drawn to writing in general. I don't know if there's anything specific that dragged me in that direction. Um, if we go probably deep into my psyche somewhere I think the fact that I had an older brother who hated all things writing pushed me more towards being the opposite of him Um, but I've always always read books I read a lot of books as I was a kid growing up Um, and then I got involved in a couple of short poetry competitions when I was a kid uh, studied English and you know I I found that I was I was pretty okay so it was something that I pursued for um a while in terms of education, I did a a degree in English and drama. Um and then I went out into the real world and stopped all that because I started to get into things like parkour and free running. And I was actually a coach doing a lot of that for about three or four years until I had an injury. And then I was kind of brought back into um writing. But I think just I don't know, there's lots there's lots of places where it could have birthed from, but I've never really been quite specific. Um but I could easily name People like J.R.R. Tolkien, um, people like Stephen King, just you know the big hitters that I read their books and fell in love with what could be done with the written word.
0: So, was it? um, Would you say you mostly got started with the idea to create long-form fiction uh, fiction pieces?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, writing a novel always seemed appealing to me because of how big it was and because it's it's a challenge and. Before I'd ever completed a novel at all, I'd written short stories and I played around with um, that format. And my first my first published book that came out was a novella. And that was sort of stepping stones towards that that bigger goal of a novel. But I think there was probably a part of me at one point that thought I could never actually finish a book. Um, and I ended up finishing the first draft of a novel in at the beginning of 2016. It was 80,000 words long and it was... A total load of rubbish and it lives in a drawer and there it shall die but i think and i say this to a lot of people that i speak to sort of within this this writing world now is i don't that story to me I, I don't care i learned a lot writing it but actually getting to the end of that first draft was probably the most significant milestone that i think any writer can hit because once you've done it once you know you can do it again and that was kind of my my launching platform into being able to carry on and be where i am now
0: I think I've heard you talk about maybe the practice or the process before on some Mm -hmm. of your podcasts. When do you think that kind of clicked for you? Was it after that first draft? When did you realize like, you know, okay, I'm not going to be JD Sollinger and write one and done, you know, or or that kind of thing. When did you realize this probably takes forever? Stephen King's kind of an exception with his popularity. When Mm -hmm. did you kind of come to that realization?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I would say, I don't know if it really actually properly clicked until probably about two years ago. So I started writing in 2015 and it was probably around 2018, 2019. Um, and just to color in some of the, the context to, to bring that there, when I when I started writing, I wrote a solo novella and that was entirely about the practice. That was, I wanted to see a book of mine on the shelf. And so I wrote one and I self-published it and I put it through Amazon um and somehow it made it to the number one in the horror charts for halloween of that year which i was incredibly happy with um as, as you would be and then from that i i managed to run into a couple of other guys who were also giving a self-publishing game a well and we formed a, a story studio called hawk and cleaver and from there it was basically four guys writing short stories writing novels just working under this umbrella together and I think for all of us at that point, that was the process. That was the love of it. We were creators. We were unbound by any sort of expectations. We were just four guys who liked to write sort of the weird, horrible, like kind of uh, a bit of horror, sci-fi thriller, all mixed together. And from that, we formed um, the Other Stories podcast, which in the beginning was literally just four guys. Each month, we're going to put out one short story per month, which was a thousand words each, just to keep us rolling along, keep us accountable to each other and we'd read each other's stories and we'd sort of give feedback and then we'd put that out and give it to narrators and it was just it was just exciting because i think there's a difference in the beginning when it's all about you to when you get to later and you're starting to do it a bit more for for the audience um but with with hawk and cleaver that was just it was just a gang of us having fun and i mean that podcast since has gone on to mass. Uh, just we've just hit seven million downloads on on um itunes which is you know really exciting for us um but the, the process from then, I think, yeah, I think it wasn't until I would put out enough content that I started to see this as a legitimate career because I was happy with it being a side hustle. I was working a full time day job. I was putting in hours sort of in the mornings and pretty much every lunch break just to create content. And it got to a point in which I started to finally see the income coming in and to get to a point in which you entertain the idea that this could replace your day job. And I never, I, di- I didn't see it happening for a lot longer. I thought it would, well, it could have taken a lot longer, but situation in my old day job basically forced me to a head in which I just went, you know, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm more willing to take that risk of, you know, this falling on its face and I am to stay here cause I wasn't happy. Hmm. Um, but yeah. And I think what, well, once you take the plunge, it kind of goes on from there, but it's all, even now I, I constantly have to remind myself how important the process is because Particularly when it's your your full-time business, you get into a headspace of, you know, what's the end of the month going to look like? How am I making the money? What's this looking like? How can I increase my audience? And all that stuff that you rightly should be worried about if you're going to continue to grow. But then sometimes you have to stop and remember that you do this for the love of the art. And then on the days in which sometimes it's a bit harder to write, you come back to that moment of, you know, losing yourself in a fictional world, connecting with readers, all that kind of stuff. And it just it helps just to keep you going because I think if you're attached to an end goal, you're going to hit that end goal and you're just going to burn out. Or if you don't hit that end goal, you're going to burn out. But I think if you just remind yourself and actually genuinely love what you're doing and that entire process of creation, I think you can go forever no matter where you end up.
0: So I've heard like uh, photographer Chase Jarvis, I said, don't let the admin get ahead of the work, which might mean mm-hmm. you're posting more on YouTube or uh, Instagram than writing. The same thing with like, stand up comics who have a great website and crappy jokes. So like, how do you balance the marketing and you're listed as like, you're kind of labeling yourself author, podcaster, coach speaker. Mm -hmm. How do you fiction marketing? How do you balance those things? You have a certain things like, well, I'm going to do X, Y, Z this week, or what's kind of the logistics of your process?
1: I think I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, It's quite timely because I recently, as in recently yesterday, just, completely revamped my entire week um i always i've always prioritized creation in the morning because i know for me that i get up early if i get to something quickly and if i get writing as soon as i'm up then that that momentum tends to carry me forward throughout the day um but it is difficult to to balance all of those nuts and bolts and i think for me as long as i've done a minimum of two three hours of hardcore focused creation that keeps that wheel turning and then I've got other tasks I've got to manage the rest of my day I've got newsletters to manage I've got you know like you say social media I've got podcasts that I run um I just I schedule those into sort of later on in the day in which it needs slightly less brain power and I can just sit and do those those bits and pieces um but I think it's it's a constantly shifting balancing act because I'm i I'm a particular type of person I don't know if this is exclusive to creatives but I'm I'm the type of person that I really, really benefit from routine and knowing when I'm going to do stuff at the same time, if I'm in a routine for longer than two weeks, I get bored and I want to switch that routine because I feel trapped. So it's, I I don't know that there's an answer there, particularly for me, but I, the, it's, it's best, the best that I can do is make sure that I'm creating, writing, doing something that's generating that backlist of content in the morning. And that takes priority. Um, I think, I can't remember where I heard the advice, but particularly for writers is if you wanna be a writer, prioritize the words and that's just what I try and stick to. Hmm.
0: Do you try to balance in uh, like maybe small spurts of like rest and recovery? So I know you're kind of known for being focused on productivity, which you may not even want to be known for that (laughs) a little bit of time off around Christmas uh, in one of your podcasts, you mentioned that. But week to week, uh, when it's not a holiday, do you? How do you find those those times? Do you like meditate or or different things like that that help you get to work the next day?
1: Yeah, I tend to. I I try to listen to my body as best I can. I know that if I've been hardcore on screens, computer, like wherever it is that I'm I'm doing my work, work, I do tend to find that say around lunchtime maybe I'm flagging, and if that's the case, I'll go off and take a walk. Um, it depends. Sometimes I listen to a podcast. If I do that, sometimes I know that I'm getting a bit overwhelmed with content in my own head because I'm also one of those people that listens to podcasts and audiobooks at two times speed, because I'm trying to like constantly just consume as much as I can um, forever learning. But yeah, I just, I really just try and fill the room. I'm not perfect at it by any means. Um, like you say, I've ten- I've somehow built up this brand of being one of the productivity guys. And I do, I do fit a lot into my schedule, but a lot of that is, listening to cues that i'm giving off and trying to get used to what i might need in certain situations so it might be that i finished off a day i'm not really in the mood for a walk i'll just sort of slump and play some video games mm. and one game in particular i play is rocket league which is literally cars and football and it's just mindless and i can play that and i don't have to think whereas you get other get uh, other games that i'm playing at the minute like days gone or the last of us two where they're a lot more story driven and a bit more heavy so you really have to focus on the story and and what's going on so i really just try and read read myself see where i'm going with that um rest is something that i'm still i'm paying a lot of attention to at the minute because particularly the last year uh, i went very very hard on just work because of the pandemic and different situations and rest was something that I definitely deprived my body of and I felt that over Christmas so it's it's one thing now where I'm just reviewing my routine constantly seeing where I can fit things in I'm being a lot stricter with saying no to stuff so I'm the type of guy who is if you ask me for half an hour of my time I'm probably going to give it to you um just because I like helping people it's you know I'm, I'm a book coach as well as an author And I like to help people on their journey if I can, but I am now getting to the point in which I realize how full my schedule is. So Mm -hmm. saying no actually helps me or benefits me in helping other people because I'm then more present for them. Mm -hmm.
0: What are some things you do maybe to compare yourself to today, to where you were when you just finished that first, like uh, terrible story that you mentioned Um, (laughs) when, when doubts come in, when you post something, it doesn't do well. When you, release a book and it's not what you expected you know whatever how do you kind of do you have a process in which you bounce back quickly do you just get
1: back at it the next day how do you kind of think about those things I'm very much enjoying these questions um (laughs) it's lots of things I've not been asked for uh yeah I think so I I tend to when I'm writing pour my everything into what I'm doing and I try to create the best books I can, the best podcasts I can. And obviously there's going to be an element of if a book doesn't perform well, it's disheartening um, and you, you're always going to want your babies to go out there and do well in the world. And that doesn't always happen. That's just the reality of it. But I think coming back to one of the earlier points, I think the fact that I just love the process means I don't really take that knock because when people are reviewing the book, when they're you know putting negative things online or things aren't performing as well as you'd hoped. For me, it it says one of two things. Either um, it's a bad book, which, you know, it could be, um, in which case I know that I've got something there to learn. And you sort of you you don't look at every review because that's a very bad idea, but you try and feel the pulse of what has worked and what hasn't. Um, But if if it's not a bad book and you're confident in what you've put out, then it's going to be a marketing problem and it's going to be that you've given that book to the wrong set of readers. For example, um, I've recently released a a serial called When Winter Comes and it's performed well and it's done well, not as well as I'd liked. But at the same time, I'm very, very aware now that I wrote a post-apocalyptic book um, with (laughs) sort of like a, a horror tinge in the background. But what I originally thought I was writing was a horror book with a post apocalyptic theme in the background. So, even just that small switch, I've I targeted it to slightly different people. So now I'm just switching those gears and moving it into another direction. I've got a new cover, I'm bringing out a box set and everything else. I'm just going to try that and seeing if it works. Um, and, and hopefully it will. And the sort of research I've done into it suggested it will because a lot of the people, when you sell a book on Amazon, you'll have the uh, customers who viewed this item also viewed list underneath and pretty much all of them are post-apocalyptic books, so that tells me that I probably went to the wrong market there, so I'm adjusting that and fixing that, but I think also the the final part on that is that I write my books for me, so if I like them, that's enough for me, like it helps when people buy them, and obviously they're there to make you money, um, but I also make my income in, in different ways as well, so they're not fully reliant on fiction, which means I can just still enjoy that process, and it means that like I say, if I've written the book that I'm, I've am i given my everything to and I'm satisfied with the effort I put in, then there's not much more I could have done. And all I can do is try again next time.
0: You see with your fiction versus nonfiction work, is there a way that you like seek feedback? you kind of mentioned accountability already, but do you have a group that reads your stuff before it goes out? When you're stuck somewhere, do you ask someone specific for help?
1: I, I don't have anything too formal. I have a few author groups that i'm a part of and um i often do writing sprints on on zoom with friends so i'll have sort of three or four people on camera and we just write and work together Um, and that really really helps with just producing work but in terms of fiction i have a um, what i call an arc reader team advanced reader copy team who the minute i've written anything i basically send it to them before it's even gone to an editor because for me the most important part of the the story is the story it's not so much the grammar the punctuation that's that's important but if it's a crap story it, it doesn't really matter how well proofed and clean it is so I have uh, an advanced team that I give my fiction to and then I'll take feedback from them see where the story's clicking see where it isn't and then adjust accordingly and then sort of put that out to editors and things um with my fiction I am fairly new still in the fiction um book arena I have uh, one non-fiction book at the minute called collaboration for authors and i'm working on another one about productivity um but in terms of the stuff that i write for that i've not really built up that system yet but it'll likely be something similar um i've got a few friends that exist in that sphere that are happy to read the work that i put out so once i've drafted this book i'll probably put it out to a few people and just see what their thoughts are see if there's anything missing see if it connects and then take it from there
0: with some of your non-fiction work do you kind of Put out things that are really specific to your audience or followers or are you also looking at the marketing saying well there are some books here but maybe this little part's missing like how do you kind of think that this idea is worthy of a book and me spending a year however long it takes you to write it
1: mm. i genuinely just feel like i write the books that i want to read um i so this lends back to the the productivity book quite well because in doing research for this book, um, I mean, I, I'm someone who, since since I started writing 2015, have looked into self development, have tried to find ways to make myself more efficient. Um, I had a full time day job at that point as well. I was a father of a, a three year old. Um, I was in a relationship. Like time time was packed, so I I tried everything to learn what I could on how to be more productive, how to to do more, because there was a wave, and there still is a wave of authors who you know they're producing a book once a month minimum and in terms of like fiction series and they're pumping this stuff out and when you're working in a day job and you've only got sort of an hour a day to yourself it's really really difficult to try and produce that kind of content so I was never going to make that but I really wanted to see how how far I could push myself um and because of that I've just I'm just at a point in which I think I've got something to say on the subject so I definitely I'm not interested in approaching arenas in which i don't feel like i could add anything new or in which i can't speak as um i hate the word but as an authority in in some way mm. and with productivity one thing that i found particularly tricky about this book is that there are a few big productivity books out there you've got um productivity ninja uh you've got productivity creatives you've got all these sort of like um big hits you've obviously got people like Seth Godin who've written the practice which is all on creativity and getting the work done so I I don't want to put myself in competition with them. What I do want to do is create what is essentially part memoir, part instructional manual, part just experience of everything that I've discovered throughout my journey and just throw that into a book. Because I've read a couple of books along the way where they might not be the most thorough or comprehensive, but they just hit you in the right way at the right time. There's a fantastic book by Jonathan Yanez called um, Get It Done Hard Hitting Motivation for Authors. And I remember reading that and it's, it's a very, very short book. And I spoke to him on my podcast and it was designed to be, but it was just, it was what I needed. So my hope is that I'd write a book that essentially there's anyone out like me out there who wasn't a similar, isn't a similar position to what I was in, then that's going to be useful and, and hopefully help them in some way.
0: Do you, do you seek out mentors that are maybe just a few levels ahead of you, if that makes sense. So like, I started uh, briefly taking a, a James Patterson course. And one of the first things he said was, don't worry about marketing. I'm like, well, this guy has no relation to <laughs> what anyone's really doing today. Yeah, you know? he doesn't
1: need to worry about marketing. He's too big.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. What's some advice you might have for like not looking to Stephen King maybe first, like maybe look to like the guy that's got a thousand more followers than you or whatever it is. Like, how do you kind of look for, even if it's just following, not even actually speaking to, how do you look for maybe those mentors like
1: that? Yeah, I think... I, I think everyone should um, and I think like you rightly said it's not always it doesn't always have to be a two-way conversation Um I, I just found I, I in what's the word I enveloped myself in the author community and just found groups found people that were doing similar to what I was doing and then from there yeah you get to you to see who's performing well who's not um, one of the reasons I started uh, the Story Studio podcast back with a with, uh, writing partner of mine, Luke Condor, back in 2016 was so that we could just invite people on the show and pick their brains. Um, people who were, you know, a step ahead, a hundred steps ahead, a thousand steps ahead. And what was amazing to me at that point, considering I was just a fledgling author and I didn't really have anything to my name, was that so many people were willing to come on the show to talk about themselves. Right. That, which, I, I don't know, it, it blew my mind because... I don't know why. I think you you think that they're too busy or or I don't know that there's some block there, but we we had some really big names in, in the indie author sphere um, come on the show and you get to pick their brain to get to ask whatever questions you want to. So podcasting is definitely a good way to do this. I'm sure you've, you'll you agree with this, like some of the names you've had on this show. Right. Um, and just having them in, in the seat for an hour, just to ask whatever you want to. So that's one of them. And then I found just reaching out to people and just being... Um, being gentle being kind so i've got quite a few people now who i speak to who are definitely ahead of me on the journey but they're the loveliest people and the way that i cultivated those friendships was literally by saying to people this doesn't have to happen like i'll drop a message because i've always been the type of person that says if you don't ask the answer is always no right and so i just i drop a message and i'll say hey um, i've got a question this is what it is I love your stuff. By the way, you don't have to answer this. It's fine. I realize you're busy, but it's there if you want it. And I think just adding that bit of humility into the conversation tends to bring people a bit more onto your side. Not not in a tacky, cheap way, obviously. um <laughs> But just being honest and giving people the chance and letting them know that you understand that they're busy and that this is optional. Yeah. And then from there, I just yeah, you just you just generate friends. You just meet new people they have friends that then get brought into a circle. But I think if you're serious about improving and growing, I think you should always, always be looking for those relationships and just embracing them when they come.
0: Hmm. I really like that. Yeah. There's a a book, I just read called the third door that kind of breaks some of that down a little more, how to contact these bigger people and just ask for something that's only going to take them a minute to answer you, but it's a, it's a big connection that type of thing. Are there, um, for maybe someone who just stumbles upon your work, either they buy a book on Amazon, they find you on Instagram, are there misconceptions that people have about you? Or like, what do you think most people think when they discover your work? Do they label you as this guy's a horror writer? Do they see like all encompassing? Uh, What do you think they first see? Or what's a lot of questions you might get?
1: I think most people, just because I have a lot more horror fiction out there, most people will come to my work and I've... Taking great pains in curating a brand of that kind of horror vibe. I've got pictures that are quite gritty, and my branding and everything is is designed particularly for horror in a way in which it's meant to appeal to a darker audience. And what I do find I get is a lot of times when I when I appear on podcasts or I turn up and I do sort of like lives with different groups, is that I'm actually quite a nice guy. And people, for some reason, <laughs> and, I, and I get it because yeah, people associate horror with creeps, um, but most most of the horror of writers I've met in my life are just lovely people, just really, really generous and kind. And yeah, I think that's probably the biggest misconception. Um, I think the other one as well is that I hope that I come across um, pretty genuine on podcasts and I've got the next level authors podcast with myself and Sasha black in which we just chat and talk about the author journey and we have fun and it's genuine. And I think that some people think that that's all an act and that it's built up for this sort of this brand that i'm putting out there but i found that in just trying to be as authentic as possible is when my business has grown the most because particularly in the beginning i spent a lot of time trying to be an author whatever that that author looked like and particularly in my first few podcast episodes and i have went back and listened to someone recently and you know you cringe at your earlier episodes anyway mm-hmm. um but I was coming across as someone who was trying to be knowledgeable and who knew everything. And it just, I, yeah, the, the longer that I'm in this game, the more I find that the more of your real self you can put out there, the better people respond because then you're connecting with the right people and bringing them towards you. Um, but yeah, I'd say horror, horror is definitely the biggest one.
0: What are your thoughts on maybe, um, some of the, Popular things going on. Like I'm sure when The Walking Dead got so big, you've seen a lot of zombie stories, that kind of thing. Um, how do you know a story is kind of unique to you? And how do you just avoid, but still continue to read what's popular, or avoid mm.
1: following, trying to make what's popular? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's hard to do because there are so many out- ideas out there that have been done. I think it comes back to trusting yourself as a writer and trying. And I think it comes with time as well, because when you're earlier on in your career, you will automatically copy a lot of what you've seen, because I I think the first couple of years of writing is just emulation. And I think it's reading people's work, trying out their styles, reading someone else's work, trying their styles, blending the two styles, bringing your voice into it. And I think once you've, come to a point in which you're beginning to grasp your voice then even if you are trying to copy someone else's story you can't because you're writing your own version of what that story would be based off of your own experiences in life your own experiences of people that have lived around you settings different things um but i think one thing that i try to do is i do try and if there is an idea that comes to me that feels a bit um similar to somebody else's I will think very very hard about what what can i throw in there that's just going to flip it on its head or, or spin it or just pull it away so it's not quite the same um i'm reading jack ketchum at the minute uh, a girl next door and in terms of how it's constructed some of it is quite similar to one of my books which i've been looking at going back to re-edit and in looking at what i'm going to do with that re-edit i have specifically tried to think of ways in which i could separate them further to make it a bit more mine and away from that i'm not in any way saying i'm as good as him because he's phenomenal Mm -hmm. um but yeah just trying to like push that originality and see if you can because i think it's okay to take ideas i think it's okay to take concepts like if somebody turned around and said i'd like to write another avatar then by all means go for it because whatever you create is going to be nothing like avatar unless you're literally copying it word for word um so it's not something that i i overly dwell on like i say most of what i write are just things that that come to me at the time and i want to write i've got a few friends who they'll plan their books months years in advance so they know what their next six books are Hmm. i never do i know what my current project is and then when i finish that i've got potential ideas and then it just depends on what I'm in the mood for and what I want to go off from there. So it's whatever strikes.
0: I think um, something reminded me, you mentioned Seth Coden's A Practice. There's a line in there where he says something like, don't be generic, but use the genre, which just means mm-hmm. like know your boundaries, know what you're doing. So I, I did some research um, that Will Smith movie, Gemini Man came out. I got to thinking that well, that's really like an invasion film. These in- enemy doppelganger films are basically invasion films. When you're, if you get an idea um, and you go back and look, how important is it for the fans if they're picking up an apocalypse story? These things have to happen. Like how important is it for you to hit those things, but still make it unique?
1: I would argue <laughs> that it depends how commercially viable you'd like it to be. I think there is a swath of readers who expect the same components of the story expect that same skeletal structure but then you also have all these other readers who love the genre but want that sort of stray from it, that that unique twist. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's totally up to to the writer and what they want to deliver. I don't think you I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's just whichever way you wanna you wanna go with it. Because I do know people who are very formulaic and they'll stick with that structure, and they're making very very good money by just bringing out one after the other, after the other. Same structure, different story. And then I know people who prefer to twist it and bend it and make it their own. And in their own way, they build up their own audience of people who particularly love that style of of metamorphosis of of, of change. And yeah, I don't know that I could grade it on importance. It's just whatever you, I think as as a creator would like to achieve in the long run. I would probably argue that, yeah, commercial viability tends to lean more towards rules. Potentially. Now you got me thinking.
0: <laughs> I think we're coming up on time. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you. If you get got anything else coming out in the next couple of weeks or couple of months, like courses or fiction books.
1: Yeah. You can find everything that I do at uh, Daniel Wilcox.com. And that's Wilcox, which is W I L L C O C K S. Um, you can find everything that I'm working on there, including my books, my podcasts, uh, my author services, my speaking gigs. Um, Yeah, I haven't got anything major coming out in the next few months. I'm working on a few things at the minute, but yeah, everything that you'll you'll need is on there. Hey,
0: thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you've been listening for a while, we would love a rating or review. It does really help us grow the audience. Again, this episode is brought to you by Author Builder. Whether you are an experienced author with an established base of fans or a new author looking to cultivate a following, Author Builder provides you an easy way to build a website, showcase and sell your book, and engage with your community through email, social, and everything else. You can also find out more information about Creative Principles on our new Instagram at Creative Principles or by visiting my website, www.brockswinson.com for the email list, the book, the YouTube, and the podcast. Thanks again.